My name is Neil Pettigrew. I'm the Vice President of Exploration and a Director of Palladium One. And I'm very happy to speak with you today uh, about our various projects and the exciting uh, exploration that we have going on. Neil, good to talk to you again. Um, <clears throat> we last spoke back in February uh, when the world was a very different place. Uh, you had made the discovery of Tycho in Northern Ontario, your nickel sulfide discovery in, um, earlier in the year in 2021, or you got the prize in 2021, didn't you? Um, and you were drilling out the PGM copper nickel project in Finland when I last spoke. Since then, the world has gone to war. You've published um, your maiden resource, and I've actually bought shares in Palladium One. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a shareholder, but I've bought shares before the share price actually came right down in the <laughs> in the spring. So I'm sitting underwater. Um, before we move on to the Canada story, do you want to just kind of um, encapsulate kind of where you've got to in Finland? Sure. So I am very happy to hear you are a shareholder, and I think we can do something for you here in the near term. We have a lot of news flow going to be coming out of our Canada operations. But as you say, Finland really had been the focus. And last time we spoke, we were moving towards that initial uh, resource in Kakua South and the resource update on the whole property. And uh, that was, you know, in our view, um, quite a milestone for the company. And although our timing could have been better, we actually did double the resource. We went from two to four million ounces of palladium equivalent at about uh, 1.5 grams per ton equivalent. And, uh, you know, this was a very solid resource, you know, Whittle Pit constrained. We invested a pile in metallurgy on it. We were able to produce very saleable cons um, from this material consistently. And so we do really uh, want to continue with that. Um, but, you know, as we've mentioned, Canadian operations are really coming to the fore here with our high-grade uh, nickel discovery at Tyco, and that's where the bulk of the exploration has happened this year. Um, thank you. You've, you've also, um, you've also uh, bought a nickel play in, in, in the Yukon. You, you bought uh, Canalask. What a, what a name, Canalask. Um, I'm sure, why, is, why wasn't it called Nikanalask? That you, you, they missed a trick there. Um, well, it's, it's only a few kilometers from the Alaska border, I think, is uh, is how the name got there. So, um, And you bought that from Victoria Gold, and that's an old kind of nickel occurrence that's been known about for decades, but has kind of had a little bit of work done on it. Um, but uh, we can. I'd like to talk about that perhaps later, but the kind of the, the thrust of it and where you're drilling at the moment is Tyco. The Tyco is a thrust, and yeah, I really want to, we're going to have to chat about Canalaska because that's a real diamond in the rough that Derek was able to uh, extract from Victoria. And uh, But Tyco is the focus, and uh, we've been actively drilling that since uh, sort of late spring, early summer. We're just finally starting to get the assays flowing out of that. Uh, we had a release last week from our new uh, West Pickle Discovery, another smoke mm -hmm. lake type zone. And so, yes, this is actually uh, a very exciting and developing story. Uh, that's happening at Tyco right now in that we believe we have not just a new nickel property, but a nickel camp uh, underway here. So, Can you show me a map? Because um, you, in, in that news release, or in fact, that you a month earlier, you, there's a news release that talks about the um, the intersections you made in holes 58 and 59. Um, and then the assays follow up in, from the news release last week. But you talk about a kind of this 20 kilometer trend. You talk about the various untested EM anomalies talk about, there we go, the, the, the Chonot, um, 
tonoliths. I think there's a typo tonoliths, on yeah. it. Yeah, I think there's um, a typo now that you mention it. The, uh, yeah, the tonoliths yeah. are feeder dikes, as many people uh, understand them to be. So we have actually come a long way in our geological interpretation of the Tycho property. When last we mm -hmm. spoke, we had our high-grade discovery at Smoke Lake, which is what we won the uh, 2001 uh, Northwest Ontario Discovery of the Year Award for. Um, you know, that had up a 10% nickel equivalent over four meters at surface. And Ten, that was, it's just uh, that's 2021, yeah, not 2001. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. So at the very fall of, uh, yeah, 2021 was that discovery. Yeah. So in the, uh, or sorry, this, the very end of 2020, and we had results, visual results out that December, and then ASCII results in January of 2021. So we made it okay. just before Christmas. Okay, so so it was a Christmas present two years ago. Yes, very much so. And okay. that changed our whole perspective on the property. We then um, significantly expanded the property. We flew the whole project with VTEM Max because this area, and you know, this area has never been mapped by the Ontario Geological Survey. It is what I call an atypical um, host for nickel. We're in a tonalite batholith out here. And uh, because of that, no one has really spent hardly any exploration in this area mm. and this is one of the reasons that we're having so much discovery success is that we're in a part of ontario you know that's surrounded by mines you know hemlo you know Gico to the north um, you know the sugar zone to the east that's never been explored and uh you know west pickle and smoke lake are less than two years apart in as far as discovery goes and they're 20 kilometers apart and so this is where i get back that we believe we have a new nickel camp on our hands here what you're looking at is our interpreted um, conoliths um, or feeder dikes, as many people would know them. And these things are preserved within the batholith. And they so, do not... Uh, yep, go ahead. What, what is a conolith? I, 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 I know the feeder dike is a simple word, but um, yep. give me a bit more context, please. So a conolith is basically just a plumbing system that would have fed a larger mafic ultramafic body or a volcanic pile. And... Many people think of it as a simple dike, uh, but it's rarely a dike. It's usually more of a one-dimensional body that sort of follows whatever fractures and stuff can go up to the rock. And it's that complexity as it goes to the rock that provides all the traps to physically uh, you know, host the sulfide mineralization. And are these long-lived structures, do they live through the life of a batholith? You know, do they... Are they um, do they feed multiple pulses or phases of, um, of, of emplacement of... of uh, intrusive rocks. So this is where things get a little interesting is that these um, feeder dikes actually predate the batholith. And so they originally intruded a metasedimentary belt. And that's where we actually had the original deposition of the, uh, the nickel sulfide. And they would have been very long lived then. They're very much the same type of system you would have at uh, Avoises Bay or in Norilsk where you're feeding a much larger mafic ultramafic intrusion. And we have this very large bulldozer intrusion to the north, which may uh, been fed by these dikes, or it could have been completely lost to erosion, and we're just looking at the roots of the system now. So the uh, the complexity is with the batholith came in, is it digested the metasediments, and the ultramafic rocks, however, do not uh, assimilate easily into a felsic melt, and the sulfide is immiscible in a sulfide, a silicate melt. And so what's happened is that uh, we have preservation of the original conolith structures, as well as actual concentration, and I believe upgrading of the grade of the massive sulfide, which is actually physically remobilized into the tonalite and into the foliation of the tonalite, because it's now an orthonice, actually. And and the presumably this is, um, you get some kind of fractionation where the, the kind of the, the chalcophile, the sulfide, 
um, the sulfides get attracted to the ultra mafix. And so that's perhaps where you kind of get that, what you're talking about as an upgrading. Or an so enrichment. the upgrading, it seems like the, the bath lift came in and it cooked everything, right? So it really raised the temperature of the stuff and it remelted the sulfide out of the ultra mafic and it appears to have concentrated in some areas. And so where we have thicker sections of ultra mafic, we have more traditional blebby, locally net textured patches of sulfide that you would see in a typical system. Uh, but when we get into the very massive stuff, it tends to not be in areas where there is much ultramafic. You can have tone light on both contacts, and the only clasts of ultramafic are actually within the sulfide themselves. And that's where we get the the uber grades, you know, the pentlandite eyes, the size of quarters, and you know, you know, up to 10% nickel uh, individual assays. And so, you know, it is a very unique environment, but it also is producing exceptional grades. You know, I mean, it's not very common to see these type of nickel grades, especially at surface in Ontario these days. I like the quote that um, Brad Lasich made, uh, in, you included in the news release in early September. Um, he said, I've seen a lot of uh, Pentlandite, but this really takes the cake. Oh yeah, so like, I mean, he comes from the Sudbury camp, right? And he was very involved with the discoveries uh, that were made there and uh, with Glencore. And, you know, he's seen a lot of sulfide in his day. And, you know, the stuff that we released, uh, you know, earlier, last month the visuals yeah those literally are pentlandite eyes the size of quarters you know they are very exceptional type high grade material and when we just had the smoke lake zone a lot of people would say well that's an interesting one-off well now we have a second zone west pickle and you can take the core between those two zones and i will just go down here to the west pickle slide here and you can see those giant pentlandite eyes right so you know the sulfide mineralization between the smoke lake currents and the west pickle lake currents looks identical what's um, the what's the continuity of these things yeah what's the, have you been able to put in fences or kind of um, holds above and below just to kind of text, test the vertical extent so at smoke lake we have defined the lens of massive sulfide they are still open with disseminated mineralization and that's what we're targeting uh, this year we did ip around it as well as looking at doing depth extent so you're going to have lenses of the high grade i would love to say we have 10 million tons of you know five percent nickel wouldn't that grand mm. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? No, what you're going to be seeing is probably a series of lenses and, uh, you know, of this really high-made material, plus there's potential for more bulk tonnage, like RJ and Tyco. You know, RJ has 1% nickel over uh, 60 meters in a more disseminated type system. 1.6 so, or 6.0? 1.04% uh, nickel over 16.2 meters. 16.2. Oh, sorry, there it is. I can see it there. Yeah, yeah sorry, it's right yeah, yeah. So, so what we see developing here is um, when you get into these type of feeder systems, you have multiple lenses of nickel. And so far, everything's been quite shallow. Smoke Lake is at surface. West Pickle is about 150 meters down. And, uh, you know, you're probably going to have a situation where you have a series of these high-grade lenses that eventually make up, um, you know, an economic deposit. Um, looking at that mag um image or is, is, is that a mag image um feed sorry yeah. yeah this the, is mag in the background yeah okay mag in the background um what gives you the confidence that the way you've in interpreted your conoliths they are conoliths not other linear features such as the north east southwest striking features so as you can see here there are a lot of diabase dikes we have a northeast set, the Biscuitazing. We have a northwest set, the Marathon. And then we even have a north-south set, um, the Marathon Swarm. I and can see that. You can see this 
big one here. Yeah, quite clear. Yeah, right? and then at the bottom, you've got the northwestern ones, haven't you? Around the bottom of that image. You can see some of these ones down here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what we don't see in the diabase dikes, which are Proterozoic and much later, is these more east-west trends, right? So these east-west trends, and they're more discontinuous, appear in the mag. And we have chewed into some of these conoliths and drill core. And they don't tend to weather up, unfortunately. So when you're out mapping, you, all you see is white, or class. The, the bathlith is actually very dirty, as I like to say. There's tons of xenoliths, class, roof pendants, what you want to describe in it. But you don't tend to find them when you're out mapping. Um, but when you're drilling these features, you do see them. And, uh, you know, we have quite a bit of ultramafic rock at RJ, as well as Tycho down here that is preserved within the bathlet. Now, these are interpreted. For instance, this one down here, we haven't done any drilling on, and they need to be ground tested. But what we are seeing is that, you know, there is more preservation in the bathlet than anyone would have thought. And this is why we're having the success we are having is that it's out there to be found. So we're going to be getting out and doing a lot more drill testing of these. We want to get out and do some more mapping and soils have worked very effective for, effectively for us on this project. Um, how many of those have you drilled and they haven't had nickel in? Well, some don't have nickel. Um, you know, you can get some ultramafic rocks that, uh, you know, don't necessarily host significant nickel they will usually have elevated right you know like a 0.1 or 0.2 um you know in a typical feeder system and i will go down to rj here um, because rj has more that's disseminated style mineralization is you get this sort of blebby stuff like that right in the ultramafic and we also occasionally get textures like this which are actual brecciated ultramafic class in a matrix of sulfide and this is what you would see in the throat of a you know a feeder type system where you're having violent pulses of magma and sulfide being deposited in a, you know, a basically a breccia. And so those textures are very, uh, very helpful. This one down here is an example of some of the pre-mobilization that was fed by you know, the granite, you know, and, and uh, there's a later granite phase as well as the tonalite. And we actually get this remobilized a few meters away from the ultramafic. But I'll go down to the Tycho zone. And this is more typical of what you might see, right? So you have this sort of blebby, locally net textured uh, sulfide within the ultramafic and these were the original two showings the tycho showing actually dates i think to the 60s uh was mm -hmm. the original nickel showing on the property and hence the wow I'm, I'm i'm just um this is a new concept for me and i'm struggling a bit uh you are not alone in that i i do a lot of explaining <laughs> about how this project came to be because it, it has got some geological complexity when you're talking about the kind of the digestion of the um uh, the meta sediments by the batholith Correct. the intrusion and the um the massive sulfides are preserved but you also said that quite a lot of there's more than you expected of the ultramafics that are preserved as well correct um so those, ultra, the, uh, those, uh, those ultramafics weren't part of the sedimentary system they were part of an earlier phase of intrusions so i am going to throw up a quick slide um which i think will help show some of this that isn't in the presentation and, uh, you know, the, uh, the truth of the matter is that it is a complex story. And so we are working at trying to get it across. And so hopefully this will help a little bit here. So just give me one moment. What we have here is a good old fashioned block model um, yep. for all the geologists out there. 
Um, this is a bit more complex than I normally go into with the average investor, but I think for this conversation, it would be very helpful. So, you know, on the left here, we have basically the emplacement of the mafic ultra mafic system into the upper crust, um, which in this area was a metasedimentary belt, so clastic metasediments. Yeah. And, you know, this upper level material has all since been lost, right? So, yeah. you know, we are on basically the uh, western side of the capus casing structural zone, which is basically a mega thrust. And so we're still, we're in what they call the Wawa subprovince, but really it's just an extension of the Abitibi. Where in the Abitibi, you have high level preservation, so low level green schist, even pumpeliate facies, and all kinds of major volcanics. On this side, we have a lot of amphibolite facies, a lot more granites, and a lot smaller greenstone belts. But really, there it's just an extension of the Abitibi. So if we go into the second block model, you can see there's basically your classic conolith structure that's intruding metasedimentary, and then you get sulfides within the material, plus you get footwall accumulations just beside the mafic ultramafic dike. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what you would see at Voises Bay, because Voises Bay, the uh, ultramafic came in after the orthonice, right? So basically you're seeing, or at Talon is another great example, which basically has been frozen in time since the day it was deposited. Yeah. Um, we have an older system, it's Archean. And so what we've had is we've had the tonalite invade that metasedimentary belt. It's broken it up. There's huge rafts of metasediment in it. And we have broken up the conolith structure, but the sulfide is preserved and has basically been transposed into the foliation of the orthonice. And so what we have found is that there's a surprising level of preservation. And so you actually have these sulfide lenses, and you can see they kind of get squished around a bit. Um, yeah. But they almost seem to find each other. And so the sulfide seems to almost accumulate, like basically strain partitioning into the sulfide and dilation, just as you would have in gold system, that sulfide flows. And so it's got some similarities to the Thompson camp where you have sulfide accumulation in the hinges zones and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space accommodation and kind of just flowing into the kind of slightly lower pressure areas yes, with, with, within the strain, within the stress fields. Yeah, so in West Pickle, we actually have it following the mineral lineation, which is sub-horizontal out there. So you have it sitting in the plane of the foliation, and then the main core of it appears to be sitting in the, uh, the mineral lineation. So we're actually doing a lot of orientated core and very much gold-type things uh, on this project right now uh, in our attempts to continue to follow these things. Okay, really helpful. Thank you. I understand that much better now. Um, could you drop the screen for a second, please? Yeah. Um, so now I understand the kind of the, or I've got a much better understanding. I, I wonder if I'll retain the memory or the the, the knowledge um, of the kind of morphology of them and how they form. How do you vector to them? You mentioned geochemistry and you've mentioned um, that you can pick up the conoliths with the VTEM as this east-west structure. What are your methods for uh, ascertaining what are the, ranking your targets within those that uh, the array of east-west conolith kind of target areas. Okay, so I'm going to go jump back onto um, this slide again here. And uh, yes, so we're very reliant on geophysics. And so because the plumbing system has been disrupted and uh, we are dealing in this atypical environment, we've really relied on EM. Uh, and we were very successful with flying the entire property with the V10 Max system. So. In, in a little bit of history, the smoke lake anomaly was actually found in the 80s by Naranda when they were looking for another GECO VMS deposit. It was at the very end of one of their lines, and it was a strong conductor, um, but it was in the bath lift. 
So no one ever bothered to check it out. So it sat there for 40 years. And because uh, so, um, Bathlith turn light equals unprospective. That's right. We like to call it turnaround rock when you're doing your mapping, right? I used to work for the Ontario Geological Survey. You'd map all the green rock and you'd hit the white or the pink rock and you'd turn around and go start traveling the other direction. And so there's a bias uh, in geology that, you know, the batholiths and the granites are unprospective. And so you shouldn't bother looking there, right? And even some of my project geos this spring, they come out and one of them said, Neil, we've, we've got to get out of here. There's nothing but white rocks everywhere I'm driving around. And I was like, well, no, no, wait a second. Wait till the core comes out of the ground. And, and you know, then all of a sudden you're looking at mafic, ultramafic and uh, copper nickel sulfide. And it's just a function of the fact that they recessively weather, right? These are soft rocks. They're all now chlorite, talc, serpentine and, and actinolite. And then you've got this highly resistive quartz feldspar rich rock around and you just don't see them much at surface. Yeah, and uh, and that's one of the reasons this area has never been mapped by the Ontario Geological Survey is that it just does not appear to be perspective. But you know, after we found Smoke Lake, we found several other multi-line conductors. We got out there last summer, did soils all of them, got good nickel copper anomalies on them, and uh, and yeah, we made the discovery on West Pickle Lake. You know, just early this fall. We also still are waiting on a few permits. We have our Koopa Lake over here, um, this isolated block. It's got very strong copper nickel, and we believe that is another one. Uh, we're hopefully to get that permit in the next few months. And so, you know, that would put a 30-kilometer strike between Koopa Lake and uh, West Pickle. So once again, a nickel camp. And one of the things that we are really keen to do is that these conolith structures, you got to remember the VTEM only works for about two or 300 meters down. Um, you know, so if you have other massive sulfides along these conolith structures, um, you're going to have to do deep drilling and downhole EM to chase them. And so we think there's a lot of potential along these structures to host other massive sulfides that might just be out of reach of what's seen from the airborne and the potential for disseminated as well. Like we have. So, so, sorry, did you say that the VTEM covers the first 200 to 300 meters or only picks up below two or 300 meters? Uh, well, it depends on the size of the target, obviously. So if you had Norilsk, you would probably see it a kilometer down. Um, but if you had, you know, some of the deposits you have in, you know, Kalgoorlie or something with the uh, Kamadiites that are smaller, you're not going to see those much below 300 meters. Okay. So you're, you've got that top 300 meters you kind of see with the VTEM. And we have a lot of single line conductors as well. And they might just be more semi-massive disseminated. And there's just, a, just enough of it to pick up you know, like this target right here that's sitting on this conolith, and we're actually positioning the drill this very shortly, where we have about a two or three line conductor. They're weak conductors, but they're sitting right on this mag feature that appears to be another conolith structure. So that might be more indicative of a disseminated or, you know, semi-neck texture. What's the, um, what's the um, line spacing that you flew? Uh, we flew it at 100 meter line spacing. So the two to three line conductors, um, 100 to 200 meters kind of weak anomaly. Correct. Okay, interesting. Um, and you mentioned that geochemistry works. So how much do you use that? And uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the till cover and uh, the glacial cover here? So it's a combination of uh, sort of basal and ablation tills, but it also has a fair glacial fluvial overprint in some areas. Um, surprisingly, it works quite well. Uh, what we see is it works right over top. So both at Smoke and at West Pickle, we were getting anomalies pretty much right over top of the mineralization. And uh, it's been an excellent vector. And one of the reasons that it works so well is that the background is so low. So 
So being in the tonalite, same with the geophysics, is that there is no sulfide in the tonalite. There yeah. is nothing. And so the background is essentially zero. So um, you have great resolution on the geochemistry just like you do in the geophysics. So, um, you know, even a 20 ppb nickel anomaly would be way out of range for what the tone bathlith would produce. And we sometimes get 500 ppb nickel anomalies. And so they stand right out. And the geophysics is the same way. Because the background rock is so low, we have great resolution when we actually do find something with the geophysics. And so when you're normally flying it, you've got too many conductors, right? And you're always trying to sort the wheat from the chafe and trying to yeah, figure yeah. out which anomalies you want. Whereas we have very clean data. And then when something spikes up, even if it's small, it needs to be checked out. Uh, great. Now, now we've got the, uh, well, since we've still got this map up, um, yeah. can, can you just talk to me about the kind of the size of the drill program, what's been done and what you're aiming to do? Okay. So we're planning to drill um, between 10 and uh, 12,000 meters by the end of this year. Um, we are fairly well into it. Um, we have not released a whole pile because we've been waiting on a ton of assays. And so you'll notice with our last release, um, we put up to hole 70. Um, even though we only have results for one hole, um, hopefully to have more results very shortly. We've just had, you know, we're looking at two plus months turnaround from the lab these days for for nickel. Um, you know, for some reason, the base metal seem to take longer than the fire assays. So, you know, we're going to have a lot of news flow coming um, this fall and into the new year just because of the situation with the lab. So there is going to be quite a bit more uh, information flowing from the Tycho project in the near future here. Um, okay, so I want to steer a, a, a healthy course away from any kind of potentially price sensitive information, but yeah. um, can you just tell me roughly where the 10 to 12,000 meters is planned to go? So obviously the bulk is going into West Pickle, <laughs> um, okay. but we've also, we have IP targets in the bulldozer intrusion as well as around Smoke Lake and some of these VTEM targets down here. Um, if we get the permit for Cooper, we will drill there as well. Sorry, where's, so, where's, where's, where's Boulder? Uh, West, Bulldozer is the large intrusion here. So there's IP targets with copper anomalies we're going to test there. We are also testing IP anomalies around the Smoke Lake zone, as well as some of these more isolated VTAM targets down here. And yeah. we did drilling on RJ and Tycho as well. We drilled uh, 400 meter pilot holes for downhole geophysics there to look for more deeper uh, sulfide. So we did a short helicopter program for a month um, in uh, late August, uh, early September. Into so, RJ because because it's inaccessible. Yeah, you could get there in the winter, but it's a long. You know, you're talking about probably a seven kilometer bush road to get in there, and so it's much more feasible just to do it with the helicopter. And so, so we did uh, you know about two thousand meters with the helicopter. Um, you know, at the end of summer, early fall in order to hit some of these targets in here um, and uh, test some of these conlove structures, right? So the, uh, this is a, uh, the idea is to actually get out there and do a lot of this work, uh, not just focused in one part of the property, because we do believe this, as I've said before, is really a nickel camp that's developing. You know, we're really starting to see scale. And uh, you mentioned the bulldozer, that, that intrusion, it's got a very different signature to the, other target areas. Do so you still see the potential for these kind of uh, tone light hosted massive sulfides? 
So this is still predates uh, the intrusion. It's just as a very large pancake-like sill, it appears. Um, and it is broken up. It's marbled with tonalite dikes and everything else. It just has a lot of magnetite in it. So it tends to show up quite well. And the big question is, is it related to uh, these features down here? Because it obviously predates the tonalite, so it might have been the same age. Uh, it has quite a bit of copper in it. Um, there's several copper showings, including the bulldozer showing, which had some high-grade copper remobilized into a shear. And so it is mineralized. It is much more copper-rich than these ones down here, which are much more nickel-rich. So I'm not sure if it's higher up in the system or if they are related at all, but it is very obviously a very large mafic ultramafic intrusion out there. It has everything from gabbro to dunite phases to it. So, you know, that is also on the hit list. It's just that, uh, you know, obviously the West Pickle discovery because of the smoke lake grades, that's sort of taking the focus right now. So you're, when you say you're kind of quite a good way through that program, um, mm -hmm. You're going to, and you've got a two month lag on the drilling. Let's say you wrap up the drilling in the next few weeks, early months. You should get most of the drill results out this year, or maybe some coming into the beginning of next year. It'll be quite a bit in January. We'll be drilling probably right up until mid December. So, okay. We did, uh, we did a $5 million flow through raise last year, and, uh, you know, that needs to be expended by the end of this year. And so, so we are going to be drilling probably right up into the end of the year. We had a bit of a slow start. We had a slower time getting our permits. We didn't really start drilling until late spring. And, uh, you know, so you're basically seeing that surge, you know, of information coming now. And so, you know, we just released our first assay results last week. We're going to have significant more now that are finally starting to come through from the lab. But I, I would be expecting our results to flow right into February. Okay. Um I noticed that you that you mentioned in the news release that mm -hmm. um, delay on the permits on the drill permits is is, is that going to be a feature of um, working in the area or have you kind of got a kind of a full pipeline and you know what's what's the permitting process going to be like going forwards? Well, I mean, the permitting process is theoretically a three-month wait, um, but uh, you know, you if you're familiar with Ontario or Canada in general these days is it takes a bit longer to get your permits, right? So, and we had the same issue with Smoke Lake. That took uh, eight plus months to get the Smoke Lake permit. Um, we waited almost 12 months this time to get the other permits. We still have a couple of outstanding. We have four of our six permits on the property now. So we do have a record of getting the permits. It's just that it takes longer than we would like. You know, if you took the permitting delays away, we found Smoke Lake and West Pickle less than 12 months apart. So um, would would you um do you think it makes a difference being a part on the, the critical minerals list in Canada or North America or was it or was that just, I, I do think that just kind of a, a, a banner and that actually the bureaucracy just does its own thing? Well, it helps, right? I mean, obviously we are a poster child for you know you know critical minerals and especially battery metals you know in North America, so it helps. But at the end of the day, you know we do have to go through the various consultation processes and there are sensitivities you know in the area and Canada as a whole is not as easy to permit as it used to be, right? So, I mean, Finland is actually easier these days, and we've had great success bringing stuff to, you know, permit out there. But I must reiterate that we have gotten the permits on Tyco. It's just that there is going to be longer delays than what officially is out there to get them. That That's really what we've seen. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's you're not alone. You know, it's a story the world over. Um, no, it's a frustration, but it's just another part of doing business these days. I, I talked to my environmental friends and I said, um, all of this 
you've got to embrace mining. I just say, you've got to, if, you, if we want to do any any degree of this energy transition that people are talking about, then we just need a lot more mining. We've, we've got to make it easier to open mines and explore for mines and their, their eyes kind of pop and they go, oh, really? I hadn't thought about that. But um, Oh, yes. If a- you want to transition to a distributed you know, energy system, you're going to need to dig. Like, I mean, the <laughs> amount of metal required to make this transition is so far beyond what many people realize. Yeah. So, But you do have to do it in a responsible way, right? And so, you know, you, do you want to export that to the third world or do you want to do it in the first world? And I think it's much better to do in the first world where we have real environmental standards. And, uh, you know, this is another thing that we really do care about with Palladium One is, you know, on the ESG front. Like, I mean, we operate in first world countries, right? We have our projects in Finland and Canada. And, you know, these are countries with strong environmental regimes, right? And, uh, you know, this is an important feature, I do believe, of this company. Agreed. Now, let's move on to um, Canalaska. The uh, Canalask, the project in Yukon. Um, can you just tell me about how, before you pull up a slide? Can you just tell me how you um, reviewed the process and how you found it and what the conversation was? I mean, what the philosophy was? Sure. So, so this area was identified by one of our directors, Peter Lightfoot, who you probably know, was a worldwide expert in nickel, as a good place to look. And so we did. We had a look to the area, and uh, we identified this project. And it really is a bit of a diamond in the rough. You know, this project was a Falcon Bridge project. Um, they were actively drilling it right up to 2008 when, you know, they got taken over and then they dropped the whole whack of properties and got reorganized. It then ended up in some juniors, which were promptly taken over by Victoria Gold. And then it sat for over a decade in Victoria Gold because, I mean, as the name implies, this is not exactly a core asset for them. Um, but it had enough merit that they maintained it. And, uh, you know, through Derek's connections, we were able to extract it uh, for a very reasonable price. And, you know, I think this is a good example of our, you know, exploration philosophy, which is to identify high value assets and then not pay, you know, exorbitant prices for them. Right. You need yeah. to basically add value, not give it away. And yeah, I, so- liked, uh, I just I just just the highlight of the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a small cash payment, twenty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars in stock, a two percent royalty with a 50% buyback right by Victoria Gold, if they want to call themselves Victoria Gold and Nickel. Um, and then two bullet payments, $2 million and $5 million at various milestones. Yeah, that's assuming we found the deposit, yes. So yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, that's 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 in the kind of a win-win situation. That's assuming exactly. you found the deposit and they've got a 50% um, buyback. Oh, so I mentioned that. Um, yeah, so there we go. So it's the $7 million plus the... Their, their optionality to not miss out on a giant one if you found it. No, exactly. And I think this is really the way deals should be done because this allows us to go in, put the money into the ground, right? And if we're successful, yes, they do have a little bit of a win, but you know, obviously the majority of the interest is in Palladium 1 and everyone's happy at the end of the day, right? Whereas yeah. if you just take 100% and take a massive dilution hit, well, no one's really winning unless you win, right? So, I mean, this allows us to test this target. And, uh, you know, if we'd like to go into a bit more detail, I'll throw it up here. Yeah, yeah. Bring it up. Bring it up. Yeah. So so this project is, even though it's in the Yukon and people have a bit of an issue with this, this is not a remote project. This has actually got easier logistics than Tyco. This thing's only four kilometers hmm. off the Alaska Highway. And there's actually a uh, campground uh, right here like with, with lodgings and cabins and stuff that you can stay at. And, and exploration have, companies have stayed there, including tech in the past. 
as a logistical hub. Um, Derek right. and I were just up there last month. Um, we walked this road, which is a good gravel-based road. It needs to be brushed out, but we had no problem getting in. And uh, yeah, it was it was worked fairly extensively in the 50s and the 60s. There's about 500 meters of development on that small nickel deposit. But it's not the little deposit that we're interested in. Um, so what we see here is a really good analog to say some of the Sudbury systems, not the meteorite impact, but you know, with an embayment structure and a footwall deposit. See, normally footwall deposits don't occur in isolations. They're usually the result of a much larger deposit within the main body. And we think that has yet to be found. So down here where we have the footwall deposit, we have this bit of an embayment structure. And Falconbridge was onto this. They did they, they drilled this embayment structure shallowly and hit a disseminated zone of mineralization with uh, you know little patches of net textured sulfide, and so the uh, they just didn't get deep enough. You know that's my thought. And so the plan is for us to go in and drill some five seven hundred meter holes, do some downhole EM, and look for that larger fire. You know the big concentration mass of sulfide because the system is pregnant. If you look at along the dike, you can see a series of high grade showings along the dike. And so we know that there's nickel in the system and we have this unexplained football deposit right at this flexure in the dike. So we think this is an excellent trap for massive sulfide and is going to be a very easy, uh, you know, hypothesis to test. So the plan is to get the permitting done this winter and be out there next summer drilling. Um, okay. And similar permitting to uh, Ontario, officially three months, potentially a little bit longer. Oh, it'll be a little bit longer. I think they say officially about six months. So the uh, okay. the every jurisdiction in Canada is completely different. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they are all trying to accomplish the same things, but the regulations are different. And so, yeah, I, I do believe that we will have some delays, but we do have some time. You know, we've started the process already of engagement. Um, it was the reason Derek and I were up there last month. And so, you know, this is just another power for the course these days that, that these timelines have to be taken into account, right? Um, and <clears throat> when you talk about downhole um, geophysics, what do you, are you going to do downhole EM or downhole IP? Uh, downhole EM is what we'd be looking for. So this is going to be a massive sulfide target if we want to really kind of develop this thing. So. Um, we think there's good potential for it. You know, this footwall has some pretty high grades. Yes, there's 400 million tons at 1.3% nickel, but there's higher grade uh, intercepts within that. And so, um, you know, we think that there is some some good mineralization to be found uh, within the main dike. And so it's going to be a, a downhole EM story, yes. And is there anything you can do from the surface? Is there kind of geochemistry? Um, how much work did, uh, how much historic exploration is there across this project area uh, in terms of kind of the surface work? When a surface work, you can see these showings up here. These were prospecting, right? So there's really no drilling on the north part. On the south part, there is a bit of drilling near the historic footwall deposit. A lot of that's old, uh, for which we don't have that data. But we do have the most recent drilling that's in the sill. And it's this stuff down here, which I think is most interesting. This 0.8% nickel over three meters. I mean, yeah, that's not a very wide intercept. But that's out of a disseminated zone. So you have pretty good tenors uh, in the sulfide. And so I, I think this is really the potential here is that uh, you have a buried system, right? It's, so it's not 
completely blind. There's smoke at the surface, but the main fire is at depth, and that's really what we want to test here. Good. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I should that's... also mention that this is part of a 150-kilometer, you know, the Kulani mafic ultra mafic belt. So it's a large system. It's not in isolation. Yeah. yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something for the summer. Uh, it's yeah. Uh, there's that's a very good reason for uh, could you drop the screen please sure in a way that's exactly why you want a, an expert on your board of directors you know to provide some input and just say well have a look in this area yeah um, oh for sure there is what one is he, other go ahead go on, i was going to say what does he what does peter lightfoot think about the tyco and the tone light and the um kind of the genetic model that you've got going there and the and the discoveries you've made Oh, he thinks it's quite interesting. And it, once again, it's an atypical system, right? So, I mean, if he was following the checklist, he wouldn't have been there either. And so, you know, it's it's very interesting for him that there is the level of preservation. But I think that the fact that we are finding more stuff that is getting the checklist with those, you know, conless systems and stuff like that, it's starting to look a little more traditional in that sense, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he'd looked at it back when he worked for Valet too, right? So he'd been to some of those showings, you know, 20 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Good. And you said there was one more thing that you wanted to mention. Yes. So I really wanted to kind of talk about the KS um, target up in Finland. So this is on the theme of high-grade nickel. And uh, if I could share one more slide, I promise to be quick. So... Finland is known for its bulk tonnage, and that's because we basically were able to budget for a number of ounces found, right? So this marginal series of the Kalisma complex, um, we have 38 kilometers of mineralized horizon. We've only basically drilled off about five or six of it, and we have four million ounces. So finding more resources up there is fairly simple. And so that's what we invested in early. But we also have this massive gravity anomaly that is interpreted to have fed the Kalisma complex and perhaps other protozoic um or paleoproteozoic rift-related intrusions like the chemichrome mine way to the west. And this had been known for years, um, and it was interpreted to be caused by a massive accumulation of ultramafic cumulates. But no one had ever tested until last year, Geological fin- Serbia Finland drilled a hole about five kilometers to the east of our property boundary, and it was supposed to be a 3,000-meter hole. Um, they actually um, lost the hole at about 1,500 meters because they left for Christmas. Uh, but the last 100 meters was peridotite so tall conserpentinite altered peridotite and so they did confirm that the gravity anomaly is due to ultramafic rocks yep. and at surface we have this weird pseudo you know pseudo conglomerate they call it out there it looks like Sudbury breccia um, it lies along the crest of this gravity anomaly and it's basically the expression of heat at surface it's probably original archean structure that this uh, conolith structure followed and it's pumped a tremendous amount of heat into the rocks, and it's actually melted the orthonice in this area. And what you see here is, you know, this chloritic matrix with partially digested orthonice clasts. So what I'm getting at is that there's been a tremendous amount of magma flux through this conduit, and that's what you want to see for a Boise's Bay or a Rills type system. So, so this is the more big game hunting. If this was the farming exercise, we are looking at doing some MT this winter. And then, you know, market conditions, because this is hard dollars, uh, we would be looking at drilling this next summer. And it would be deep drilling and downhole geophysics looking for massive sulfide. And if we could find massive sulfide, it might be incredibly rich. The sulfide mm. tenures at LK are very rich. So in 100% sulfide, this stuff would be running about three ounces PGEs, 10% nickel, 13% copper. So if those 
sulfide tenures hold for the KS structure, it will be worth a fortune. So, you know, this is sort of the ultimate big game hunting exercise we have here. And so I just wanted to bring this forward that, that, you know, a lot of people associate us with the bulk tonnage. And that is true. We have 4 million ounces plate of equivalent, yeah. uh, which is a very nice resource. But we also have a lot of high-grade nickel targets in this company. Uh, thank you. And Stop sharing there. Yeah, great. Well, um, it's funny. Yeah, you say a lot of people associate with the with the with the bulk tonnage, but uh, I'm going to be looking very closely uh, at the the spacing and the tenor of those uh, drill results from Tyco um, over the next. You know, what do we got now? Uh, three months. You no, know, the next five months, pretty much until PDAC. Hopefully, you're going to bring some core to PDAC. Oh, yes, um, we had some core there last year, so or this spring, I guess, last year. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll have some more. Yeah, no, it, it does produce some spectacular stuff. And I think the, the market's going to really respond to, or perhaps the catalyst you need for the market to respond is kind of stringing some of those um, closer space holds together. It's one thing to show a 20-kilometer trend, but it's actually it's building out the... Um, at the at the prospect scale, building out the potential to add tons, um, even if it's not a resource, we're not talking at a resource conversation level yet, but just kind of proof of continuity along strike and perhaps a depth. Yep, and we are working at that. So I mean, while we had to take a break for the moose hunting season um, up there with the rig, we had the downhole geophysics crews on West Pickle. So you know we're going to be using that tool to follow that zone because we haven't defined the limits of it yet. And can just ask him why, why so much work at uh, West Pickle relative to Smoke Lake? Did you not want to get back into Smoke Lake and do some kind of um, expansion work out there, or was it just because the you got some good results in West Pickle and therefore you just kind of following your nose there? Well, that's obviously the new high grade discovery. So, um, but yeah. no, we did do work at Smoke. We did IP uh, this past winter over it to chase that, and we have a couple of new targets out there that we are looking to test. Um, we did do some drilling out there just before the break, and we are removing the drill to that area right now, actually, as soon as we can start drilling again in a couple of days' time. So it has not been forgotten. We are going to be having some results for it. But, you know, when you have a brand new high-grade discovery, well, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah no, 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 I, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I understand how it goes. But, yeah. um, no, it's, it's great that you're still going to cover um, uh, Smoke Lake as well. Good. Yeah. Um, Neil, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed uh learning more um and understanding that that schematic you showed me with the uh the, the in-depth uh, block models of the formation of the kind of the um the tyco style mineralization was really helpful um it's very good to learn about canlask um ks and to hear about the news plans and what, and what you've got forward so i look forward to following those and uh maybe see you at pdse oh for sure and thank you again for your time. It's been uh, very fun to really dive into the geology here. So.